So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Super Together. I'm James Cochran, and with me today for this special episode is the Right Reverend Martin Ruben Herrera. Uh, he is known affectionately as Tino, Tina, Cheeto, Tito, Tony, um, and I don't know if I missed any there. Tina is probably the newest one, is that right? Uh, yeah, that'd probably be the newest one, but you forgot T-Bone. I go by T-Bone as well. T-Bone so, as well, yeah. So yeah. everybody, uh, so Tino is a care pastor at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection. He is in the provisional track to become an ordained elder with the United Methodist Church. Uh, good luck with that, Tino. Uh, so Tino, tell us uh, what's, uh, who, who are you? What's your deal? I just told everybody what, who you are and what your deal is, but. No, no, no. Just a little cliff notes. Yeah. Um, well, originally I am a, from Oklahoma. And so I was born and raised in Norman, Oklahoma. So um, I'm sorry for all the Jayhawk and Wildcat fans out there and probably Tiger fans that are listening in, but I am a Sooner born, Sooner bred. So I bleed crimson and cream. When you say Tiger fan, are you talking about like Tiger's like live cat tigers or are you talking about missouri tigers i'm not talking about the tiger king if that's what you're talking about uh back, well i'm just saying you know, you're <laughs> you're from oklahoma and you've been to joe exotics park i i have been to joe exotics park yes this was about maybe 10 years ago uh okay. so yes this is before the murders and before the <laughs> you know um before everything was crazy back when he was just a regular guy Right. We knew he was crazy, but we didn't know he was doing all the things that he was doing that we saw in the documentary. So, uh, so Tino, you're from Oklahoma. You uh, um, came up here to Kansas City a few years ago. Yep. Uh, it'll be three years in July. Uh, we came up here. And so technically, we live on the Missouri side. So we live south of KC. Um, so I, my wife works for uh, School Smart KC downtown uh, and uh, have a daughter, stepdaughter. Claimer as my own. She's uh, 12 going on 30. Mm. And so, but yes, my, uh, my responsibility uh, is uh, as a care pastor at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection on the Leewood campus. And so uh, I always tell folks, they always ask me, what does that entail? And I always say, we do everything a pastor does except preach every Sunday. Well, listeners, Tino and I have been close friends since he joined uh, Resurrection staff. Uh, he and I were there at the same time for a season. Hold on, hold on. I think we should let our audience know, um, you know, what I thought about you when, when I first no, met you. No, the way you tell the story. <laughs> so his, uh, how about I tell it? How about I tell it, what you thought? Okay, so, that's fine. You tell it. So Tino and I met and... He was, Tino's a quiet guy. You know, when he comes into a room, he's, he, he listens first and second and third and fourth. Um, and maybe if you ask him a question at the end of a meeting, he'll tell you what he thinks. But generally, Tino approaches everything with a very, a very quiet, calm demeanor. And I didn't know this, but during the first few meetings that I was in with Tino, um, he was sizing me up, assessing, you know, what's, what's this James guy really like? What is he, what is he thinking, what he's about? And another thing that I didn't know was that Tino was really big into Game of Thrones. And there is a character on Game of Thrones named Lord Peter Baelish, uh, more commonly known as Littlefinger. And Littlefinger is a very Machiavellian type character, very cutthroat, very uh, manipulative. And 
Tino decided early on that that was me in this particular office environment, that I was the little finger of the office. Is that, is that a fair summation? Well, that, that is, but so if you allow, I, I always think that as you enter into a new environment, this is just me, but there's always going to be a little finger. So I'm walking into this thinking, okay, who was going to be the little finger in this community, in my new community of colleagues? And as I'm listening to everybody speak, you know, their, their narrative and their truth, introducing each other, you know, to me, um, then came you, James. And I just kind of knew, I just said, this guy's little finger. He, he's going to be a backstabber. He's, he's going to try to, you know, but obviously I was wrong because we, we became really good friends uh, with a walk around the church that afternoon. And uh, well, we, we were able to, to throw all that to the side and be like, you know what? I can kick it with this guy. It's interesting that we we talk about these ideas because Ginger actually suggested that you and I uh, get together and talk about the show Tiger King. Just because you know you're from Oklahoma, so you 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 know you and Joe Exotic were buddies, um, so figured you'd have some <laughs> insights there. Uh, so I watched the series; it's bananas, and came away with a sense that what this show is really about is it it is the capacity of the human being to hold a grudge, to feel so consumed by distress and anger and blame toward another person that it just it just poisons them from you know from the inside out. And so, you know, I figured okay, well, yeah, we could talk about the Tiger King, but really the show is about relationships. So when I think what does that show really have to teach us about relationships? Um and really what is the concept that we could really carry? It's 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 grudges. It's this capacity we have as people to hold on to that uh, kind of bitterness pointed toward another person. So I'm glad that you didn't decide early on to hold a grudge against me, that you didn't decide, you know, um, this guy, he's, I don't like this guy, because that would have been pretty distressing probably for you and for me. Um, So I'm glad that that didn't happen. So let's, I just want to open the door to this conversation about grudges and say, when you as a pastor you know, so spiritual leader, somebody that walks with people through times of distress. When you think of a grudge, what do you think of? What are the types of scenarios that pop up? What are the the things that people get caught up in when they're bound up by these grudges? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, so when I think of that, uh, you know, I think of a, a persistent feeling uh, of ill will or resentment resulting from, let's say, a, a past, you know, uh, a past insult uh, or or an injury in that in that saying, right? That could be emotionally, physically, spiritually, and so with that comes a lot of emotions that stir out of it, right? Anger, um, they can uh, fear, um, paralyze you in a lot of ways. So. So that's what I usually think of when I think of, you know, when we talk about grudges or holding a grudge against someone. So you, there's, there's a handful of ideas that I want to sort of pull out from what you said. And, and what I'm thinking is we're taking some kind of story from the past. We're preoccupied with it in the present. Honestly, what's, what I think is most interesting about grudges is that it's, it's targeted toward another person, but it isn't really an interactive experience. Now, it can be interactive. You could engage in you know, backbiting, name calling, rumor mongering, gossip spreading, whatever it is. But mostly this is just something that we sort of hold in toward ourselves. Can you give us an example of a time maybe when you were caring for somebody or time in your own life when you saw a grudge just consume somebody? Yeah. So, I mean, I can get personal for a moment. Um, 
so, you know, growing up, I grew up in a very large, you know, Catholic, you know, upbringing, Latino upbringing, where, you know, I had a lot of aunts and uncles. But I remember when I was, you know, nine years old um, and uh, witnessing my my father and my aunt, his sister, uh, get into a huge argument. And remind you, I was nine years old when this took place. We saw it unfold. It was obviously, it was obviously over something very small that you know you look back on it now. You're like, why were you fighting over that? But I kid you not, my dad was so hurt by it that uh, he did not talk to his sister for over uh, 15 years. Mm. And I remember, you know, we didn't get to see our cousins. I didn't get to see my aunt. Um, you know, I remember asking my father at the time, you know, like, you know, why can't we go see, you know you know, Aunt Mandy, why can't we go see, you know, our cousins and everything like that, you know, and he would come up with some, you know, um, you know, white lie, of like, you know, oh, we're busy, that kind of, but what I saw in him was someone that held, that was holding on to so much anger, even to the point I would even lean towards the part of, because of, of, I heard him use some of this language, um, you know, uh, hate, right, mm -hmm. that, I, that I hate my sister, right, and it really affected him, you know, where he, he really never had any healthy relationships out of that, right, mm -hmm. because, you know, he would project on everybody else, right, and his anger and his hurt, I would see him projected on, you know, his, his mother, his, his other siblings, um, his friends, and that would eventually continue on with him uh, through, I would even say, even to, the, to this day, Right. Mm -hmm. That he uh, if something were to happen to him where he is hurt or he is frustrated or angry, uh, he doesn't know how to a um, forgive or, or b come to that place of forgiveness. But you see what the effects of all that anger and frustration and hate and even fear um, uh, leads into. And in this case, uh, it paralyzed him uh, to the point where he has no empathy whatsoever. And um, it, he, you know, he's still, I, I mean, I would say even to this day, I mean, he, you know, you, you take him off or something like that, he's still going to hold a grudge on you. And he's not going to talk to you until you come to him and say, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it's, so part of what I hear you describing is that there is a, there's something in each of us, you know, there's a sort of a dial that exists in each of us. And for some people, it's really high. So some people you know, you injure them in some way and it is really easy for them to hold a grudge for a long time. And there is a very specific set of circumstances that are going to be required for you to be redeemed in their eyes. And some people it's, it's really, uh, it's not sensitive at all. You know, you could, you could injure them profoundly and they'll be able to find ways to forgive. Um, what's interesting, you know, we're using this word forgiveness. It sounds like that is essentially the antidote to a grudge. Um, is to find a way, like if I'm holding a grudge against you uh, because of something that you did to me, the way for that grudge to disappear is for me to forgive you. One of the quotes that I found about resentment, you know, were about grudges. They said, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's a good word right there. Um, we really are only hurting ourselves when we withhold that forgiveness from other people. I'm thinking about our married relationships, right? If I've got some some beef with my wife, I am never better served for holding a grudge. And again, the grudges we hold in marriage, sometimes they can be significant, sometimes they're less significant. But generally, it's along the lines of she's done something that I don't appreciate. And so that's going to be something that I sort of hold with me until she finds a way to make it right. When in reality, it's, it's usually just something that if I had the capacity to find forgiveness for and let go, I find freedom there. You know, that's now let me ask you, 
let me ask you, um, do you find that, what are some of the challenging aspects that you find yourself when you're, when you know that you're holding onto this grudge, right? And you know, you need to find, you need to make some, some peace in some way, right? Uh, so what are, what are some of the things that you struggle with, if you don't mind me asking, uh, that, that prevents you from getting to that, to that one place of liberation, as I would like to say, because ultimately we, the goal was forgiveness and we can break that down here in a moment, but, but how do, we, what are some things that you, that you find yourself being challenged with before you get there? I think for me, um, it's when I prioritize uh, being right over connection. You know, when I feel justified in my upsetness, that's usually when I have the biggest barrier toward forgiveness. Because it's like, darn it, she shouldn't have done that thing. And the fact that she did uh, is something that she needs to find a way to make okay. And And usually what it takes is for me to say, you know what, this is... I'm just hurting myself by holding on to this. Even if I was right, even like none of those things are ultimately going to facilitate the connection that I'm at. Now, so I'm curious when you, when you're, when you're working with someone, I'm thinking about things like funerals, you know, things where, you know, we've got maybe unresolved grudges and now the person's died where we've got, you know, people that are holding, you know, bitterness. And, you know, I, I know you've dealt with funerals before where you've got, people fighting, you know, families fighting because of long held grudges. You know, what is, how do you guide people toward forgiveness in spaces like that? Yeah. Well, I think first of all, you know, the, the most important thing is to, in, in those particular situations is I tell the families, you know, to, to be honest with themselves, right? Um, there's no reason we can't ignore our feelings of anger, uh, of frustration, of, you know, these broken relationships that we're, that we're trying to redeem, right? Because we're, we're caregivers, right? And we, that's our goal is to, is to restore these broken relationships. But I believe first you have to recognize it um, and ask yourself to always ask them the questions of like, you know, what, okay, what, what are you feeling right now? How are you feeling right now? And, you know, they'll eventually guide you to a place where you come up with a plan. So, for example, uh, I was caring for this one family. Uh, this was last summer. And uh, I did not know, remember, you know, we get we get assigned these funerals. And, uh, you know, so she was telling me about her father. And as she was telling me about her father, she was telling me all the good things about her father. And then within five minutes into the conversation, uh, she led into uh, this uh this conversation, this, this narrative of where she, her father abused her. And as she was expressing that, uh, obviously very emotional, uh, very heartbreaking to hear that. Uh, so I actually just stopped our conversation and, you know, I just said, Hey, listen, uh, I, I want you to know that this is a safe place. This is a safe place for you to, to, to be open and uh, in, in the place of confidentiality. Yes. But more, I want you to know that I hear you uh, and, I'm going to walk with you in this and it's not going to be one and done, right? You can't get over that within a, within a day or two days or even, you know, weeks or months, right? Because in a way it's, it's grieving, right? It's, it's, it's grieving some sort of loss, right? Obviously she didn't have this relationship with her father that she wanted, right? And, uh, but also she's angry at the same time. And so it's easy to say, you know, yes, you have a reason to be angry, with your father, but now let's get to the place where we can restore that. Mainly I'm focusing liberation here for her. Does that make sense? Because I don't want her to carry that pain, that suffering, you know, in the coming days and weeks and months ahead. 
Yeah, I think that's an important distinction because there's a lot of people for whom, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, there's these perceived slights and, uh, you know, things that we do to hurt one another uh, that may, may feel small and insignificant. But some people are carrying, you know, real profound trauma uh, that they experience as a result of, you know, abuse and all kinds of things that they experience at the hand of another person. And what we're not saying is, oh, yeah, you know, just let that go. Pretend that that's not a big deal anymore. But I think what we are saying is that to the degree that you're holding on to that brings you pain, uh, see if you can find a way uh, toward forgiveness. Now, it's not, you know, forgiveness is is a complicated idea that probably deserves four or five hundred different episodes um, just because it feels it, it feels like it requires more depth. But I think part of what we're pointing to is that when you are holding a grudge, uh, when you are saying, you know, I've got this beef with somebody and I'm not going to let it go. Mostly who you're hurting is yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and you can find a way to say, you know what, I am going to release my responsibility for holding on to that grudge. Now, depending on how severe the transgression is, that doesn't necessarily mean the relationship's healed and everything's going back to normal. But you're not going to, again, you know, thinking about these ideas, you're not going to let that person live rent-free in your head. Um, you're going to find some way for you to say, okay, I'm, you know, they're going to be their person. I'm not going to spend my time and energy thinking about them anymore. Um, in psychology or in, you know, uh, family systems work, we talk about this idea of individuation. Um, and it's the ability or, or differentiation, I guess is the better term for it. It's the ability to be yourself and let somebody else be their self. And when we have a grudge against somebody, what we have the hardest time acknowledging is that they're not going to be the person that I want them to be. They're not going to be the person who seeks my uh, forgiveness, who comes to me apologetically, who makes up for all the wrong that they've done. And that's that sometimes requires grief to acknowledge. But I think what it allows us to do when we finally come to that place is to say, oh, I can be myself and I can let them be their self without it having an impact on, on my heart and my daily, you know, life living. Mm, mm, that's a good, that's a good point. Yep. So Tino, do you have any wisdom from, uh, cause you're, you're a man of God. And as a result, I'm just curious, do you have pastorally guidance for people who are holding on to grudges in their heart, who are caught up in that place of, I, I can't find a way forward um, in the way that I think about this person. Uh, yeah. Is there any sp- well, spiritual wis- wisdom that you can offer people? Yeah, well, with with faith, uh, I lean into my faith, especially, you know, when we talk about, you know, grudges and forgiveness, you know, I, I think of in Matthew's gospel, uh, the verse in uh, chapter five, verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called uh, daughters and sons of, of God. Right. Uh, the spirit within us creates an unrelenting desire toward forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, if you were to look at the story of our faith, uh, it reveals the unfolding mystery of forgiveness. It's it is from the beginning. It's in the middle. And it's at the end of uh, this biblical transformative message. Right. But even outside of our faith. And I learned this from a good buddy of mine who is in recovery, uh, you know, with the uh, 12 steps. Uh, I believe it's step five of the 12 steps. It goes admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. I'll repeat that again. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. So in other words, when James, when you and I, as human beings, admit to one another the exact nature of our wrongs, we we pretty much have this 
this humanizing encounter that deeply enriches really both sides. And mm -hmm. it even changes lives, right? It is no longer an exercise to achieve kind of this moral purity or regain God's love, but in fact, a direct encounter with God's love. It's not about punishing one side, but about liberating ultimately both sides. Interesting. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah. So for, for if, if I've got beef with you, part of what I have to do is be able to confront the things in me that need to hold on to that beef. Um, yeah. and admit those things to myself and to you and to God and say like, I, this is why I want to hang on to this. You know, one of the things that we say often in, in therapy is when you're holding on to something that's hurting you, it's never just hurting you. Um, there's a reason you're holding on to it because it, it, it's serving you in some way. It's doing something for you. You know, and I love this idea of, you know, we, it's, it's not about winning or losing. It's about both of us finding freedom, you know, and I think that that, that will carry uh, regardless of, you know, whether you come from that, from a place of faith or, or some other place. But um, I think that that's, that's, it's a helpful way of conceptualizing it. And I think people of faith especially will find themselves compelled by this idea of releasing the things in us that want us to hold on to that, releasing that to God and finding someone else to help us out with that. It, it, it could be helpful to have a person in your life who you can, you can say to, Hey, am I crazy here? Um, am I, am I, am I being unreasonable on the way that I'm approaching this? And they might tell you, yeah, like you're, you're, you're probably taking this a little too far. Or you're probably holding on to us and holding on to this in a way that just hurts you. So I like this idea of not just acknowledging it to ourselves, but bringing it into a space of community and bringing it before God. Yeah. Too often we live in this, this quid pro quo universe. Right. And, um, I think, one of the things that we have to come with is first, you know, understanding, you know, where we are, you know, to your point, why are we holding on to this? And let me just say real quick, forgiveness is not a popular or easy path. You know, we make it sound so, you know, like as it's cheesecake, right? And, you know, you just, you just embrace it and then it's all one and done. Right. But, but it takes time, right? If you're hurt, you know, you're not necessarily going to forgive someone right then at that moment. Right. But you have to, again, start doing the work of unpacking all of that asking yourself, okay, what is it that's making you angry? What is it that's, you know, hurting you? And then be honest and true with yourself, eventually going to that individual and releasing them. So I'll give you a, another personal example. So I, I brought up, you know, uh, my relationship with my father, and that has carried on even to, to this day. Uh, so I haven't talked with my father and uh, it'll be, I think it'll be five years this coming up August. And the reason for that is because I married someone outside of my race, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the time when I told him that, hey, I was about to marry uh, my, my my spouse, my partner at the time, and just say, hey, you know, I, that I want you to be there uh, when I propose to her, we're going to have a party, all that jazz. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I don't approve of it. Um, I'm not going to be there. And so if you walk out that door, then we're not talking anymore. Now, mind you, I go back to the beginning of our conversation, right? I grew up with this. I grew up with that behavior. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, now it's happening to me. Right. And maybe maybe my father will get over it. Maybe maybe he'll just, you know, kind of just, you know, come back, you know. And I told him, I said, the dad, the door is always going to be open for you um, right then and there. But as I as I left and I remember getting in my car, it, I, I, I started getting emotional. Right. Because there was a part where I, I was like grieving that I may never talk to my father again. And how do I feel about that? Well, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. You know, I, I, I want to go, you know, confront him. Right. I, I want to do all those things. I mean, I as the weeks and months and went by, I, I heard from folks, well, you need to send him a card. 
or you need to send them a text message. And I did all of that. I did it all for about two years. And as I was doing all of that, I realized, okay, wait a minute. I, I'm, putting, I'm putting all this energy into a relationship that's not really receiving. You know, I want my dad, I want my dad's favor. I want him to understand that I, that I forgive him. But at the same time, though, when do I need to pretty much forgive myself and ultimately let that go? Not because I don't care or love my father, but just say, hey, you know what? I need to continue to move forward. I will always love my father, even for what he's done, but I will not allow it to affect me, to paralyze me as I've seen it done with him in his life. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that probably, you know, rounds out what we're describing here, which is that, you know, you might come to a place where you're like, okay, like I'm ready to uh, let it go. I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to create the space that's necessary for this relationship to be restored. Um, but even then that can only go so far. Um, you know, you can, um, you know, you can come halfway, um, but the other half needs to be, you know, closed by that other person. And I think, you know, part of what you're describing is again, that idea of differentiation, which is you have allowed your dad to be himself. Um, and you're going to be yourself. And unfortunately right now, that means that you're not going to be in relationship with each other. Um, and maybe there will be, be a day when that relationship can be restored. But for now, you being your most authentic self, him being his most authentic self, means that you're not on the same page. I want to, before we close, I just want to make one, I think, really important point. You said that people talk about forgiveness uh, like it's cheesecake, but in reality, it takes time. I just want to be clear, you know, that cheesecake is supposed to be eaten slowly. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's dense, it is rich and you're supposed to, you know, take your time with it. But for everybody that doesn't know Tino well, I want you to know that it doesn't matter what you put in front of Tino, it will be gone in about 10 seconds. And so that's why he probably thinks, yeah, everybody thinks of it like cheesecake. You know, the thing that you eat in, in two bites and then it's done. Well, and, I love you know, cheesecake. cheesecake yes. It's supposed to take a while. Take it to, you know, no, but I, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. It's been as delicious as, you know, a piece of cheesecake. So again, folks, uh, Pastor Tino Herrera, care pastor at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection. Uh, you can get in touch with him uh, by going to cor.org and finding uh, pastor information there. And uh, just want to remind you that we've got episodes coming out on Tuesdays and Fridays. Primarily, the Friday episodes are going to be me and Ginger, and then we're going to be bringing in these special guests on Tuesdays. And I want to thank you, Tino, for uh, being our special guest this week. Uh, got anything else to say as we wrap up? No, 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 no. This was fun, and thank you for allowing me to come on. And uh, hopefully I can come back on and we can talk about more topics. Yeah. When, when the next episode of Tiger King comes out, we'll do a follow-up. Okay. All right, deal. I'm just kidding. All right. Thanks, Tino. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this week's special episode of Super Together. I'm James Cochran. Be well.